0: Towards the end of the build uh, is when the actual 2019-2020 bushfires um, emerged and I remember vividly one afternoon I was finishing the house and we could see the flames leaping up the the cliff tops about a, a kilometre away.
1: This is Simon Anderson, an architect who decided to build a bushfire resilient house. He almost had his house put to the test in the deadly black summer bushfires.
0: That obviously was a very scary moment. Uh, luckily the wind changed and, and we weren't um, impinged on by the actual fire front.
1: Simon built his house in a flame zone. In other words, an area that has the highest bushfire risk. That might sound risky, but with many people still rebuilding their homes after the bushfire, it's worth thinking about how we can build back better. Do you think your home would cope with a bushfire? Or what about a flood? With more extreme weather events predicted, shouldn't our homes be built with this in mind? I'm Marlene Even, and in this episode of Think Sustainability, we'll be looking at how we can build climate resilience into our houses. We'll chat to an architect who set himself the challenge of building an off-grid house in the bush, and learn from a research director about climate change predictions and what we can do to plan ahead. This episode of Think Sustainability is produced by Melanie Scott.
2: We are seeing it now. For a long time, we've been talking about it, but I kind of feel like since 2020, it's all around us and it's so tangible. So it's no longer something abstract anymore. We can see the effects of it right here, right now. My name's Caitlin McGee, and I'm a research director at the Institute for Sustainable Futures, which is part of the University of Technology, Sydney. The climate is getting warmer, so that means um, longer, hotter summers, more days of extreme heat, Um, also getting drier in the southeastern part of Australia, so uh, more drought. Because of the dryness and because of the heat, seeing a much longer bushfire season, um, as well as more days of extreme bushfire risk.
1: It's not only bushfires and hotter temperatures that we're going to keep experiencing.
2: You know, we're going to see an increase in the intensity of storms and hail and flash flooding. In the north of Australia, um, cyclones are actually predicted to decrease um, in their number, but increase in their intensity. And in alpine regions, um, there'll be less snow so, um, and sea levels are rising. Then there are what
1: Caitlin calls the bigger picture impacts of climate change
2: global instability, mass migration, more refugees. Uh, species loss, um, collapse of ecosystems, a whole lot of uh, food insecurity, so you know difficulty in sort of accessing food, um, disruption of supply chains. I guess the more individual impacts can be about threats to life, you know in terms of uh, natural disasters, impacts on health and well-being and talking mental health there as well as physical health. It's not all necessarily about disasters, it's also just about extreme weather because that actually, even though it doesn't seem like an emergency um, can have a real impact, and we know that every time there's a heat wave we see um, you know many people dying, particularly the very young and the very old are affected by um, extreme heat.
1: Knowing these extreme weather patterns will have an ongoing impact on our lives, particularly if we live in areas that are higher risk, means now more than ever is a good time to think about how we can be proactive to improve energy efficiency and thermal comfort within our homes. So what is a resilient house?
2: Well, a resilient house is basically a house that's built to be really robust, to withstand um, threats from the weather, um, and that's built to naturally maintain comfortable temperatures or, you know, with the sort of less requirement for turning on your heater or your air conditioner. It is built to um, potentially be self-sufficient in, in, you know, if there's a a power outage. um, And it is built with kind of um, strong materials, I guess, you know, so and that... What you need to do will actually depend on where you live and what your level of bushfire risk is or flood risk. Um, but certainly people in bushfire areas have to do very specific things to, to keep their homes resilient.
1: Building a resilient house in a bushfire zone is something award-winning architect Simon Anderson knows all too well.
0: It was a, a dream of mine and my wife's to, to have a house um, that was on a, on a bush setting, in a bush setting,
1: Simon built a holiday house in the World Heritage-listed Blue Mountains, west of Sydney. It's a popular national park, but also a bushfire zone.
0: It was a way of us understanding bushfire design and off-grid house design and learning on ourselves that we could then take to clients uh, and with with the wisdom that we learnt and then impart onto them the, the journey that we'd been on uh, and, and so that we could talk wisely about the process.
1: Because of its location, the house had to be built to meet the highest level of bushfire regulations. The higher the risk, the more protection you will need. The rating is calculated according to a BAL, bushfire attack level, and refers to radiant levels of heat. They range from BAL Low to BAL FZ, in which case you are directly exposed to a fire front. Houses built in bushfire zones have to be able to endure extreme heat, as Simon explains.
0: When you're standing near a, a big bonfire and it's just too hot and you've got to turn away, you're, you're experiencing about uh, 5 kilowatts of heat in a bushfire Firefighting outfits, you can tolerate up to 20 kilowatts per square metre for a short period of time. Timber can start to self-combust at 25 kilowatts per square metre.
1: The windows on Simon's house are BAL40 windows, so they could tolerate that sort of heat for about half an hour. He says there are parts of the house that are actually deemed flame zone, or FZ, which is the next step up from BAL40. This means flames can actually lick the house. In the summer of 2019, the house narrowly escaped four deadly bushfires that burnt the surrounding areas to the ground.
2: A state of emergency has been declared for the next week as we're blasted on three fronts. The situation is dire in New South Wales. The Premier has declared a seven-day
1: state of emergency. 3,000 firefighters are on the ground. It was known as the Black Summer Bushfire, which burnt more than 24 million hectares.
0: I remember vividly one afternoon. I was finishing the house and we could see the flames leaping up the the clifftop's about a, a kilometre away.
1: It took just four minutes for Simon to prepare his house before fleeing with his family to safety.
0: There's a series of screens that fold down or uh, slide out. So in the event of a bushfire, the part of the veranda roof folds down and becomes a screen. Um, There's other sliding screens that come out and then there's rolling screens that roll down over the windows. So they protect the windows from that extraordinary radiant heat that you could um, impinge on the house during a bushfire.
1: The plan for Simon and his family was to leave via a back road through their neighbours' property and be out of harm's way. But if they weren't able to escape, it's still possible to take shelter in the house.
0: The house is actually quite airtight, and so that's a really important um, principle of um, bushfire design is that you, you won't be inundated with smoke inside the house.
1: Luckily, Simon's house was not inundated and was spared by not just one deadly bushfire, but four.
0: That obviously was a very scary moment. Uh, luckily, the wind changed and, and we weren't um, impinged on by the actual fire front,
1: Perhaps for a lot of us being this vulnerable to extreme elements like bushfires would be enough to keep us closer to the city, but for Simon it's different.
0: It's a transformative place, being in the bush uh, takes you away from all your worries in the city Uh, and it's certainly very hard to to leave it um, behind when you do come back, um, uh, but that's the, the balance uh, for us is, is um, ha- still having a connection to the city, but also um, having that relief uh, or release when we go back up there and um, live up there. Um, it, it is a, a way of forest bathing or, or getting back to nature, so to speak.
1: The benefit of these types of resilient-built houses is that we can be inspired by unique design features that often lead to new, more advanced building technologies. A perfect example of this comes from a group of architects in the Netherlands, who have found a solution for flooding – that is, to build houses that can float or rise with the floodwaters. The technology is still developing, but for anyone who has lived through a flood disaster, replacing flooring and electrics is expensive. The houses are being filled with buoyant air-filled concrete, allowing them to float because they are not anchored in any way to the ground, allowing them to essentially go with the flow. Rather than building houses to combat nature, these ingenious designs are being inspired by nature.
0: Part of the ethos of the house was to actually mimic the, some of the trees that are on the site called g-bungs. and they have this bark that can burn off and protect the house, uh, protect the tree, sorry. And so the house has a similar sort of methodology that it, it can be uh, it's protected by its outer skin. Um, and reminiscent of this g plant that actually has a dark um, bark as well that sort of flakes.
1: The term for applying these nature-inspired designs into human engineering and invention is called biomimicry. It's a practice of learning and mimicking nature's strategies to solve human design problems and is often used in architecture. Of course, building a home in a remote bushland setting was always going to come with some challenges.
0: The bushfire is is one of the primary concerns, but it's also... Uh, It has no services, so there's no power, water um, or sewer, which meant that we had to have a house design that, that could look after itself in all those aspects. And
1: this was just the beginning. The build offered multiple challenges and steep learning curves.
0: It was just too prohibitive to get power lines down through the bush to to the local um, or the nearest um, power pole, so we thought, great, we'll we'll have an off-grid house as well uh, to add to that, uh, and then also deal with our own sewerage.
1: Simon was quick to note that off-grid is appropriate for houses that can't connect to the grid, like in rural settings, or when it's just too costly to do so, like in this case. Now that the build is complete. Simon has a deepened understanding of bushfire design.
0: It was a long process to realise all of those, but in the end, architecture is about a balancing act um, to to try and harmoniously bring all those elements together in a a beautiful way and in a cost-effective way.
1: Climate change means extreme weather will affect us all. Making changes to our living situation requires building resilience into our homes. Things that will help make our everyday living more comfortable and cost effective. But is this still achievable for people who have been priced out of the housing market or for populations within our community that are most vulnerable? Research director Caitlin McGee believes there is an imbalance.
2: Yes, I mean I think um, I think there is a kind of an inequity issue which needs to be considered through broader means like, policy changes or certainly there are things that everybody can do but it is much easier if you own the house and you know you can make more structural changes and if you have the money to do that if you're a renovator so I think better awareness really about um, if you are a tenant about you know which which home to choose so being able to kind of look at a home and understand has it got this feature has it got that feature.
1: For people looking to build a new house or apartment I wondered if the current building codes reflect likely future weather events. Architect Simon Anderson believes more thought needs to be put into it.
0: I don't believe it's something that's being um, actively looked at. There's a, there's a, a thing that's called basics that you need to comply with.
1: The BASIC is the Building Sustainability Index Certificate. The aim of BASIC is to ensure resilience in houses to reduce greenhouse gases and water consumption. The certificate is part of the development application process in New South Wales, Australia, which holds a set of thermal goals that helps people achieve sustainability and financial savings.
0: It's not all that hard to to pass those thermal goals. Um, There was talk of increasing it through this new SEP that was going to to be um, enforced. Unfortunately the developers got to that and uh, have put that on the back burner.
1: The new SEP that Simon refers to is known as the Design and Place State Environmental Planning Policy. It's a planned policy package designed to improve the livability and sustainability of new apartments and master-planned communities, ensuring greater resilience and financial savings for owners. The new policy will come into force in New South Wales on 1 October 2023. So how do we build resilience into our homes? Caitlin McGee believes there are a number of things you can do,
2: particularly if you're building from scratch. And and the strategies will vary a bit depending on your climate, but basically... Um, making it as comfortable as possible. So there's something called a star rating for homes. It's a national system. And you want to make sure your home has a really high star rating, which means it's built for comfort, well insulated, um, in a way that suits your climate. Um, So it's not just about insulation. It's about the, the design of the rooms, where they're oriented, a whole lot of different things.
1: The higher the star rating, the more thermally comfortable and cheap your house is to run. The minimum star rating in Australia is 6, which is a good level of thermal comfort. However, a 10 star rating means you won't need artificial heating or cooling, making your house more energy efficient and cheaper to run. Simon agrees that there are many approaches you can take to making your house resilient.
0: There are many um, steps or or ideas that people can take to make their homes more resilient. Um, We've gone to the nth degree to test out some of these ideas, um, but obviously it's out of reach for for many people. Though there are many approaches. We are uh, advocates for passive house principles.
1: The passive house principles are a set of German designed building standards that make a house energy efficient, comfortable, affordable and ecological. There are five main principles that include good insulation, air tightness, no thermal bridges, which means stopping heat from travelling through your walls, triple-paned glass windows and also mechanical ventilation.
0: I think it's it's vital. If you enact these passive principles, you can reduce your energy bills by 90%. So that's obviously very enticing for people to think, um, especially if energy is going to keep going up, um, why wouldn't you um, invest the extra twenty or so in putting in better insulation, better windows, better air tightness measures, knowing that it'll pay off itself in, in a short period of time. You won't need to, to deal with large power bills.
1: Whether you incorporate star ratings or passive house principles, making your house more resilient is something
2: Caitlin believes anyone can do. It's a really wise thing to do, um, you know, regardless of disasters, but just thinking about how we're going to stay comfortable in a changing climate. And you can also think about making your home resilient to bill shock by thinking about things like solar panels on the roof. So a lot of the things that we've been kind of advocating as Good, sustainable housing also kind of are resilience features as well.
1: There are a few creative options
2: for helping to make your home more resilient. Make sure your home is well sealed. Uh, you could consider putting insulating blinds on the window for for winter. Um, so they're those kind of honeycomb types. Um, if, if you get too much... Sun in your windows in summer, you can consider a shade. The best place to put it is on the outside, and you can do that in different ways. You could, um, you know, use shade cloth or put some trees, or some plants there. <laughs> um, so, there are certainly things that can be done.
1: Caitlin suggests that there are ways to keep updated on how climate change will affect us using a few key websites. The CSIRO website is a really good resource. CSIRO refers to the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, which is an Australian government agency responsible for scientific research. That
2: talks all about um, climate impacts and the projections, and they have... Uh, Another website, it's a separate URL, Um, it's called, I think it's a collaboration between them and the Bureau of Meteorology, and it's called climatechangeinaustralia.gov.au. It's kind of delightful if you're into data and you can get a bit nerdy on there. You can look at the climate models, but you can also uh, look at the predictions um, that are very specific to your regions. Caitlin also suggests a government resource on resilient housing so it's yourhome.gov.au and that is a guide to sustainable housing um, but as I said you know there's a big crossover with resilient housing and it certainly picks up on resilience too there's, a, there's one particular sheet on bushfire protection for example but you can find a lot of information there and there is a, a kind of a fact sheet on what you can do you know in terms of small uh, home improvements that even tenants can do.
1: Understanding the risks of the area you live in is a crucial factor to consider for both now and in the future. As our climate temperatures change, so too should our awareness of our surroundings.
2: Well, first of all, to understand the risks that relate to your particular area that you're living in. So are you in a bushfire-prone area? Are you in a flood-prone area? And if you're not sure, you can check with your local council. That's probably the best way to find out, um, and then you really need to understand what you are and aren't insured for. Understand what the excesses are. Um, so you really want to to know that. You know, you want to not be caught out. I guess so.
1: Being prepared and taking time to think ahead is always a good plan, especially now that we know how climate change is going to affect our everyday
2: living. I, I feel like the best way to approach it is not to. You know, not to be alarmed, but just to kind of take that approach of if I'm prepared, it just helps me know I've done that. You know, I've done what I can. So I think that's kind of the best way to look at it because it is it is concerning. I mean, the other thing is if you're... Choosing a place to live, just think about that location, you know, think about the risks before you make that decision. You know, that might not be what people had traditionally had in their minds when they were choosing where to live or rent, but, you know, that's kind of um, something we should all be considering now. Looking ahead, climate change gives us
1: a greater reason to think about how we can build resilience into our homes,
2: if anything, so we can be prepared. I think... In terms of resilience, um, you know, this this topic can be quite um, triggering for people. Um, and i think uh, what i would say is that all the all the resilience features that help make your home safer uh, kind of have uh, all these other benefits too so even if you don't really want to be in that headspace of thinking about my home in a disaster um, many of these things will just make your home more comfortable you know um, lower bills um, you know more durable less maintenance so you know there's a i think there's a really strong alignment with kind of resilient home principles and just the sort of things you'd want in a home anyway.
1: Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the community radio network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is produced by Melanie Scott. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for your company.